Hello everyone, this is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show, and today, <laughs> yep, today is a good day. See, today we have with us another great friend of the show, my friend, Angela Bailey. See, Angela Bailey just recently stepped down from serving as the Chief Human Capital Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Yes, the agency that encompasses so many pieces of our government here in America centered on keeping us safe. And in my conversations with her, she just shared so much phenomenal information and ideas and advice on how to build constructive, cohesive teams that I said, look, I've just got to get you on the show. Would you please join? And she said, yes. And you know, I want to say a real quick nod to another episode. Peter Kemp. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, listen to Peter Kemp because I did exactly what he recommended in his interview, which is when you see a senior leader transitioning from one place to another, that is the best time to reach out because they may have a little free time on their hand. And because of that, because of Peter's awesome advice, which again, you should definitely go check out that episode, we have a phenomenal, phenomenal woman with us today. So look, without any further ado, I just want to get this rolling. My friend, Angela Bailey. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show. And today I have another great, awesome guest with us and hopefully a new friend of the show, Miss Angela. How are you doing today, madam? I am doing great. You have to stop calling me madam. Thanks, Michelle. Hey. It's my, it's military upbringing. Like it's just been so hard. Look, you know, we can start on that. Actually, we can start on that note really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I still remember at the beginning of my career, um, again, I oversaw exec ed. So I was always working with the, the SES for the organization and whatnot. And I addressed everyone, sir and ma'am. Um, and I got feedback from them. They're like, hey, look, you pr- you probably need to stop saying that because it makes it look to other people like you're lower than and you want to be perceived as peers and whatnot. Um, I've never really gotten away from it because I feel like it differentiated me from other people. But what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on, you know, sir and ma'am and whatnot? Oh, that, you know what? That's a great question. So I'll let you in on a little secret. I used to call people sir half the time because I couldn't remember their names. Right? So <laughs> sir was like, that's so easy. I'll just call you sir. <laughs> and so, because, you know, like I, like you, I grew up in the DOD for like 20 some years. And so it's, you know, all these different ranks and, and who's a general, who's a colonel, who's a lieutenant, whatever. All I know is that as my father-in-law used to tell me, cause he was enlisted, you do not call the enlisted sir, because he used to say to me, I work for a living. Yes. And I was like, got it. Um, and so, but you know, look, to me, it's just a sign of respect. I never saw it as like being lower, lower them than them or anything else. It was a convenience, you know, because again, you didn't have to worry about their ranks and things like that. So I, you know, I never got hung up on that at all. My, my former boss, it's interesting. My two of my former bosses, Chip Fulgham, he, he was a Lieutenant, uh, I'm sorry, he was a Colonel in the air force, but I always called him chip. Well, then Texas, my last boss, he was a two-star general in the Marine Corps, uh, retired two-star from the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And I always called him sir or Mr. Alice. And and it's not because I had a different relationship with either one of them. It's just, I don't know. It's just like Chip was Chip and he was sir. Yeah. And 
but I never, but to me, but the relationship with them, the person that they were was the same to me. So I don't know. I think we get a little too hung up. I, I will say for me personally, like when people would call me Chico ba- Bailey or <laughs> Madam or Ma'am, I would always be like, I'd always cringe, right? And I'd always be like, no, no, just please just call me Angie. But there's so many people that like, to your point, you grow up in a certain environment um, or you're from a certain region. People from the South have a tendency to call you ma'am or mm-hmm. sir, right? Um, I grew up in the North. We called all of our neighbors, even though they were adults, we just called them by their first name, you know? So, so I think it, I don't know. I think sometimes we get a little too hung up on things that, that don't make a difference. Well, you, you know, so you, you got me thinking though, I was, I was in an organization and I was in an organization and I, I, I was watching how their employees navigated relationships with their senior managers, the executives and whatnot. And what I saw was that there, there were some challenges because um, there is a desire from that leadership team to be quote unquote normal, right? Like one, one of the people um, right. at the same time, I felt like there were boundaries also being crossed. Like, not to say you can't challenge someone, but how you challenge someone, you know, in a superior role. So like, how do you, how do you navigate that when you're trying to be one of the, one of the, you know, I'm a normal person, but there, Mm -hmm. I feel like there should still be some seniority or some, some reverence to the position. I I don't, I'm not sure how I'm I'm saying it right. Do Do you get me? No, I completely get you because it is, it is a, it's a really fine line and it's this balancing act. Right. And so I will just say for for me, with my team and stuff, here's what I would always say to them. Listen, I've got this idea, which I always had a thousand of them, right? And then I'd be like, "But, but I need you to push back. Like, I need you to push back. I need you to tell me like where you think like I'm not, I'm not headed in the right direction and stuff. So I invited them to tell me what they think. Now, don't get me wrong, Alex. There were times whenever I just knew that we had to go in a certain direction. This is the right way to go. And no, I don't care how much they push back on me. This is the way we're going to go. And I would just, you know, and sometimes I would just say, listen, I got it. I hear you. I understand your point of view, but I feel so strongly about this. This is, this is how we're going to head in this direction. And I think because I had established a relationship with them where I listened to them yeah. most of the time that when I had to say to them, right, you know, I'm done, I'm done with this conversation. This is the direction we're going in. Then, then they respected that. And they did that. All I ever asked them was we can have all the creative tension. We can have all the discussions. We can have all the debate. We can have all the pushback. But at the end of the day, when I asked you to do something, you got to salute smartly and carry it out right to the best of your ability. None of this malicious compliance. And we've all seen malicious compliance, right? Where Mm -hmm. we nod our heads and yeah. And then we go off and do our own thing. Like I know that that went on as well sometimes, but, but I just think it really begins with having this rapport with folks where you can say, you know, look, this is an iterative process. This is a collaborative process. This is me just thinking out loud, share with me your thoughts and stuff. And so that's how it worked for me. Now, were there times when people crossed the line where I thought that they crossed the line? Maybe three times in my entire 40 years, maybe three times in my entire 15 years as a senior executive, did I have to say, you do know that I'm actually in charge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that 
um, and so, but that might have been three times in my entire career. And and so and and also that you can handle that by being a, a little playful with it as well, right? To kind of get your point across without being yeah. a jerk about it. But you know, hierarchies, command and control, um, all of that kind of stuff is it's important, but but we can't be so hung up on it that we that we don't invite the collaboration, that we don't invite the thinking, that we um, because then all we'll do is we'll go off in the wrong direction and people will not follow somebody if they're simply just told what to do. They have to feel it and believe it as well. You, you know, what's funny is there is the other side of that um, that I experienced early in my career, which is I like to be super collaborative. And when I got the feedback from my staff, um, I did, we did an annual review and they thought I was unable to make a decision. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, it wasn't I couldn't make a decision. It was just like I was trying to include you. So mm-hmm. you, you, I guess you don't want to. How do you not swing the other way where you I guess where you look like or, pe- or people perceive you as being unable to make a decision? Yeah, so you you can fall into that, right? Where you're just collaborating so much and it does give that kind of impression. So so for me, with people who want to like constantly collaborate, it it does sometimes feel like, Lord have mercy, can we just get to the point? You know, can we just like (laughs) like move on? And so I think for me, it was like always, I was always looking for an 80% solution. So what I would say to folks is, you know, let's let's collaborate. Let's let's kind of figure this out. Let's make a decision to move forward with where we are, and then we'll just clean up the other twenty percent as we go along. Yeah, so then yeah. that that allowed you to collaborate, make a decision, and then and then still have time and room to clean things up. But people like that. I mean, people want to know that you're going to make a decision. But I used to say this as well: no decision is a decision. And we can't forget that, right? Mm. That when people make no decision at all, they've actually made a decision. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, sometimes that's kind of hard to work around as well as like, okay, how am I going to, you know, get this particular project off the ground or how am I going to move forward? Because all they want to do is just sit and talk about it. So when you're in a position like I was in, you could say, we're done talking. Okay, <laughs> enough. Like we're going to move out. We're going to get this done. Let's let's go. Um, but I'm. But even as senior as I was, I still had bosses, right? I still had people I had to collaborate mm-hmm. with and get things done with. And so, um, yeah. I, I mean, you're right. You you just have to you have to feel this the whole way through, and just make sure that um, that when it starts to feel like it's just a lot of talking around the same topic, then it's time to just say, you know what? We're just going to implement. I know it's not perfect, mm-hmm. but we're just going to go for it. Yeah. You, you, you know, and I apologize. I realized we jumped in this really quickly. I did, you, know, you, you started off the conversation wonderfully. Um, okay. I, I want to, you know, one of the reasons why, actually the reason why I started this podcast is because I wanted to provide um, the masses with the advice that I and many other people have received that help us move into more senior level positions fairly quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And that mentorship, and I felt like there were things that people who were moving up and becoming more and more successful, however you define that, um, they were doing that other people just didn't know, right? Um, There were sometimes quote unquote secrets because they just, it wasn't like they were hiding from, they just, those conversations never actually happened. 
So I was speaking with a number of leaders as I was interviewing them and whatnot um, for either for my podcast as well as the, the speaking that I do. And we talked about career progression and what you should do when you come into a new gig if you want to move up. And there are two ways of thinking about this I've heard so far. One is you should don't look for the next opportunity. You just focus on getting your job done and everything will work out if you do a really good job. Actually, um, I just interviewed um, President Obama's um, former uh, FEMA administrator, and that was the approach he took. Just just work and get it done. Um, and then there's the other side. Um, someone like the uh, former ambassador, uh, Lisa Gable, where she would, she goes into a situation saying, look, I'm only going to be here for so long. What do I want to get accomplished within this period of time? So I know that there is success. There's a, there's some progress. And then what am I going to do intentionally make sure I'm positioning myself or developing the skills required to get to my next thing? Um, I like to ask you, what is the answer? Is, is it A or B is somewhere in between? I think it's somewhere in between. I, you know, I will tell you one of my pet peeves with a lot of times with people that I've mentored is like when they'll come in, the very first question they're asking me is, how do I get to the next job? Right? How do I get to the next promotion? And I'm like, how, how about if we talk about how do you do the job that you currently have really well? Like, let's have that conversation <laughs> first, right? And so for myself, whatever job I'm in, I put my whole self into it. Like, like everything about me, I put into that job because I want to make that job and the people that I'm with and the customers that I serve, I just want to make it the best experience that I possibly can. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think about, I haven't thought about things like, geez, you know, there's different skills and different areas in which I need to learn some things because eventually that's going to help me whatever job I take, right? Wherever, wherever my career goes, that's going to help me. A great example of this was when I was doing, you know, labor and employee relations the whole time in, in DOD, then I was the HR director, and then I went to OPM. And when I got to OPM, I was doing recruitment and hiring and those kinds of things. But near the end uh, at OPM, I was asked to, um, to be the chief operating officer. And so now I've got finance and I've got IT and contracting and security and facilities and, you know, all this kind of stuff under me. And at the time I was like, I wasn't thinking about, oh, well, I need to learn all these things because it's going to prepare me for my next job because I didn't really think about what my next job was. Yeah. I just knew that this was such a fantastic learning experience of all these different program areas um, that were going to help me whether I stayed at OPM or I went somewhere else. So when I went to DHS and became the Chico, one might say, well, now you didn't need all those things. I needed all of those things, right? Because nothing gets done without a contract. Nothing gets done without knowing how to, to do a budget or to present it to Congress. Nothing gets done without the IT systems that actually run it. So having that background and understanding and knowing and building the network and the relationships with the people that, that I really needed in order to succeed carried with me then to my next job. So that's why I guess I would say, Alex, honestly, it's in the middle somewhere. I think if you go into a job just saying, mm, you know, hey, I'm only gonna be here for 18 months or whatever, and then, you know, I'm headed out to my next gig, I'm not sure that you keep totally focused on where you're at at the present moment. I will say when I went to DHS again, I knew that was going to be my last federal job. I mean, I I just because I knew I was going to retire from the federal government mm -hmm. and I was going to retire from from DHS. So 
I didn't sit there and go, oh, well, I better learn this so that I can create my new business, you know, kind of thing. No, it was like yeah. I was 24-7 dedicated to being the Chico of DHS. Now, the things that I learned and the things, the experiences that I got, oh my goodness, now that you know I'm retired and I've created my new business and stuff, like all of that now helps me, I think, move forward in my new business. But but I didn't do those things because of that. You know, I, I, it makes me think of, um, so I started watching these, these mini masterminds on this app called mastermind. Um, and I listened to the one with, uh, with president Bill Clinton, and he talked about, um, having these overarching goals for his life. Did something like, you know, are the kids, are the kids okay? Are they, are they growing professionally or growing, whatever? Um, and, 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 and in the work he did, is it helping more people than it's harming? And, da, da, da. and so he had those, those things. And as I watched it, he, he mentioned something about, um, he mentioned something about having, again, also broader life goals that made me think for me personally, I want to, for my, for my broader life goal anyways, I want to make sure that I have cre- been in a place in positions where I can help open opportunities for those who are from underrepresented um, communities to have opportunity to be successful wherever they want to be. Um, that doesn't mean I need to be in DEI. That doesn't mean I need to be in certain things. But I think you can, from any position you're in, especially as you move up in leadership ranks, you can put in help establish policies and programs, make sure that there's fairness and equity um, for, I want to do that before I die. So because I know this, I want to make sure I'm always acting towards it for my, my day job. Cause in addition to what I do and my speaking, and whatnot, I also serve as, as executive at a, a nonprofit. I've, I've taken the approach that I don't know how long I'll be here. Um, I could be here four years, five years, six years. Um, but before I leave, I, I really want to make sure that there are a couple of things that happen. One, we increase our, uh, the diversity within our workforce. Um, and two, I want to, I want to really get a performance management system put in place at this organization. I've heard so many employees talking about it. Um, so those are my two, two of my big things I really want to focus on within whatever time frame I'm here. Is, is, that, is that different? Or because for me, it feels like it is different than saying, okay, look, I'm going to be here for two years. Let me hurt wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And I'm not hoping that that's not a bad term. I don't, I just thought it. Um, I know. <laughs> so getting in and getting out and then go. Is, is that, do you see that as being different or more so the same too? No, that's different. I mean, I think what you're trying to say is, okay, no, just like for me, right? Like I, like I said, I knew this was going to be my last job at DHS, right? And so, I think all you're saying is I don't think that this is my forever job, and so there's some key there's some key things that I want to try to uh, do to make this organization or to make the customers that we touch um, have a better experience, right? Yeah. Or or make the place better than than how I found it. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's perfect because to me, you're not saying and then I'm out of here. You're saying while I'm here, these yeah. are the things that I really want to try to accomplish, and so. I think that that's spot on. That's something that everybody should do. Everybody should say to themselves, 
how can I just leave this place a better place than how I found it? Yeah. Or how, you know, how can I touch the life of just one person? Like, I don't have to change the world, but if I change the life or not so much change a life, but if I provide an opportunity, just one person, and then that one person pays it forward and then, you know, changes the life for somebody else or provides an opportunity for somebody else, et cetera. And it goes on. That's how the world changes. It, it, you know, these big bang theories and stuff and driving things down from the top, you know, whether it's an administration, whether it's an, uh, an um, you know, some of these groups like from activism, whatever, a lot of that stuff just loses its steam because it becomes it becomes a mammoth bureaucracy all by itself. Right. With rules and and all this stuff, whereas I just I have found the ground, the grassroots efforts have always have always worked so much more effectively because when you win the hearts and the minds of people individually, and then they, you know, pay it forward, then it just starts to spread organically, but then it's institutionalized and it's embedded versus driving things down from, from the top all the time. You, you know, you make me think of uh, Simon Sinek. He, I once heard him talk about um, the problem with, um, saying the worst system, like, oh, our, our systems are wrong. The, the, the system in America is just, they're set up wrong. And, so, and he said that the problem with saying that is that systems sounds really big and mm-hmm. obtuse and like, oh, I can't do anything to help it. But what are systems made of? People. Like mm-hmm. if we all just do, like you said, those little things to to make the life better, to make better for someone else, that everything changes, but we have to think of it as we can't lose sight that it's people we're working with, not just a more, you know, it's up to thing in the sky somewhere. Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, and I think about this all the time, like I would always be asked, well, you know, what are you doing to improve the morale within DHS? Or what are you doing to, you know, improve your engagement scores within DHS? And, And I used to say, guys, what are we doing to just improve the life of our employees? Like, like, let's actually just ask them, you know, and some things honest, honestly are so simple. Like if you go to work every day and you don't have, um, you know, you don't have a microwave to heat up your lunch. Okay. Like get people a microwave. We don't need a great yeah. big, you know, yeah. morale yeah. program to buy people a microwave because they just want to heat up their lunch. Right. They, or, you know, another th- another thing is, is like, <clears throat> and I've said this before, like, you know, the, the child care concerns and stuff. And, you know, like for our employees at, at DHS, as an example, they don't get to tell the drug cartel, mm, it's five o'clock, got to go pick up my kid. You know, can you hold mm-hmm, off there mm-hmm. across the border today? Because um, I got to go, you know, I got to go pick up my kid. They don't have that opportunity. So what can we do as an employer to like help them have alternative child care means or you know, figure out ways to to just make it in such a way that that they can get their child picked up on time by not maybe by them, but by somebody else. And so that's what I mean about thinking of, I mean, Simon Sinek is absolutely right. It's not about the system. It's about the people. And what do we do to improve their human experience? What do we do to, uh, to help improve um, their life? And, and oh, by the way, it's not just them as an individual. It's about thinking about people as the whole person, because the whole person comes to work and the whole person goes home. 
You, you don't leave stuff at home. I was, I was having this conversation with my daughter and, and my son, because now they both have children and stuff. But I remember back in the day, whenever I worked at Letterkenny Army Depot, my daughter was, I think she was four at the time. And I dropped her off at the daycare center, right? That child hung onto my leg as I dragged her the whole way across that daycare center, holding <laughs> onto my leg, right? I had to peel her off, had to give her a kiss, tell her I love her. And then I had to go to work and do labor relations. Yeah. Do you really think while I was at work, I was worried about, you know, Joe's AWOL charge or Betty's grievance? Yeah. No. The whole time, all I was worried about was, oh my God, did Sierra stop crying? You know, <laughs> did, was she okay? Did I just destroy my child, you know, yeah. more. And so that that's what I mean. It's like, it's like recognizing that people have whole, rich, incredibly complex lives. And how about if we help improve that versus, you know, worrying about systems and programs all the time? Well, I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, but I don't think it can happen. I, I, I don't think that approach works because that would require us to talk to our people. <laughs> and unfortunately, um, th- those can be difficult conversations. I say it's tongue in cheek, but I think that is the, you, in order to address the things you're talking about, you have to be able to have those conversations with your staff and those around you. Um, but I think I, I've experienced this as I talked to worked with leaders. Sometimes leaders are are worried about having those conversations because what if they say something that I can't do? You know, what 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 if they what if what if they want a microwave, but our regulation says we can't have microwave in here? Now, now I'm in a situation, I don't know what to do, and I feel I feel uncomfortable. How do I have this conversation? Um, a really quick example. Um, there was a there was an individual I know of a few years back who had an employee who um, the employee was doing great. They absolutely loved the work that the employee was doing. Um, they were going over and beyond in their, in their job. Um, the employee became upset. And I spoke to the employee and the employee was like, look, I'm not being compensated correctly for the position I'm in. I am not being compensated and this is not right. Um, come to find out, the manager knew that and the manager was working behind the scenes to get a pay increase but the manager didn't want to talk to that employee because what if they couldn't get the pay increase? So now it looks like the employee thought the manager didn't care and it, all this thing because it was a lack of communication. So how, how do you, what do you recommend to those leaders who, who want to do those things, but they feel a little anxious about engaging in a conversation that what if I can't provide what they want? Thank you for tuning in to the Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA group term life insurance and see how much you could save by visiting WAEPA.org today. If you're a manager in the federal government, do you have Fed's protection professional liability insurance? 
because if you don't, you need to get it. Having a Fed's policy means that you will be protected against any professional capacity lawsuit, administrative action, or criminal investigation arising from actions taken in the scope of your employment. This insurance is a must-have for federal managers and starts at just $209 a year. Plus, your agency will reimburse you for half of this cost. To learn more, visit www.fedsprotection.com or call 866-955-3337 today. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. Yeah, so, okay, okay. I... So I'll push back on you just a little bit and say, I think it, it is possible, right? And, and I think we hide, I think sometimes we hide behind this, oh my gosh, what if I can't really buy them a microwave kind of thing? Well, buy them a microwave anyhow. Like what, what, what's going to happen to you, right? If you, if you, and maybe you pay for it out of your own money. Maybe it's true that, you know, that your organization won't yeah. pay for the microwave, but I don't know what microwave costs these days, but you know, the hundred bucks that you're going to spend to buy them a microwave to make their life better will go will go a thousand different really good directions. Yeah. And so for me though, here's the thing is that and I've thought about this a lot. And this really happened, this really came to light what you're talking about during remember during the George Floyd with the George Floyd incident mm-hmm. and stuff. And and so all of a sudden as managers we were being asked to have these conversations around race and around all these different things. And most of us, me included, was going, oh, but I've been told, I've been told for 40 years, I'm not allowed to talk about these things. Oh my God, I'm going to get an EEO complaint. What if I say the wrong thing? Like managers started panicking, right? Because it's like, wait, you want me to yeah. have a conversation, something that up until this point, you've told me are off limits. You've told me I'm not allowed to ask Alex, do you have any children? Yeah. Alex? Yeah. Alex, yeah. How are yeah. You- that's what we've told managers and leaders for so long, right? And now all of a sudden like that, we're saying to a leader, well, now I want you to care. I want you to go out. And it's not that the leaders didn't care. It's that they were consistently told, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do not ask these questions because you will have crossed a line and you will get a complaint filed against you. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, look, I completely, completely understand and can empathize with that. So what I, what I found myself doing is like I would have these conversations, and we had we had race conversations uh, with my own executives, and and then and then Roland and I, um, who's African American, he was my deputy. Roland Edwards, he and I would then have that same conversation in front of all 350 Chico employees, right? So that they could really see and understand that like this is just two human beings, like you and me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know your background and you don't know my background, right? At all. You have no idea how I grew up. We just assume that people have a certain background or grew up a certain way or in a certain environment just by looking at them on the surface. But we don't really know unless we have a conversation with them as to what their fears are, what their concerns are, what what brings them joy and happiness and those kinds of things. So you you can't really, I think you can't really um, have incredibly good working relationships if you just always keep it at the surface. So, you know, an example is with my executives that I had at, at DHS, we had a huddle every morning, 9 a.m. 
it was an hour long and then we moved it to 45 minutes. But the point is, is that honestly, at least a half hour of it, at least, was us just yucking it up. It was making fun of each other. It was laughing at each other, not just with each other, but at each other, right? And so we had this rapport and we knew that we could laugh with each other. We knew that we could, we knew that we could have these conversations. I mean, when when Roland and I would have the, the race conversation, some of the things, and, and Sharon Wong, who I adore as well, she's our um, um, chief of diversity and inclusion and all. When I, when we would, when they would talk to me about certain things, I would be like, what? You know, like it was so new to me, but then, you know, the things that I would say to them might've been new to them. And so my point is, is that when you take the time to establish really good personal relationships with the people you work with, then you can have these difficult conversations because they're not difficult. They're not difficult at all. They're instead, they're just like deep. So instead of saying you're having a difficult conversation, you're having a deep conversation, right? Yes. And so so that makes it really authentic because people, you can trust each other. I could trust my executives bar none. I knew that whatever we said in there stayed in there, right? I knew that whenever we made fun of each other, um, nobody got offended by it. Nobody was like talking behind each other's back. Nobody was trying to step on top of each other and stuff. And so as a result, guess what that made us? A highly performing team. And it also, when we had crisis after crisis that we had to handle, we relied on each other. Nobody felt alone in trying to carry out their mission. Everybody felt together as one team. But it all begins, I think, by just establishing um, what I will call, you know, really good relationships with the people that are closest to you that you work with. Look, amen, sister. I I agree with you on everything. And obviously everyone who's listening, I was just joking about earlier, about yesterday, like earlier when I said won't work. 100%. It just requires these conversations and being able to, to be out there and, and be vulnerable. Um, I we mentioned a couple of times, but I want to make sure we have the opportunity really quickly to to elaborate on it. Chico, is that mm-hmm. a, a chip or is that something we should all know about? What is a Chico and what was your role in that in that in that position? I'll say really quickly. Yes, yeah, so Chico is a chief human capital officer. Um, and in some places, it's called a Chiro, I think, a chief human resource officer. And, you know, some are HR director, some are chief people person. You know, I've seen it called all kinds of things. Bottom line is that what I really thought is that I had the responsibility, honestly, for doing everything that I could to help improve the lives of our 250,000 DHS employees, right? And thinking about all the policies, all the procedures, all the systems, all the different things that we could deploy and implement and stuff that made their lives easier within an incredibly bureaucratic system, as you well know, and an incredibly large agency with um, with so many different missions and things. But to me, it was always just to keep my eye on what is it that's going to make, and by the way, when I say our employees, when I say 250,000, that inc- you know includes the military, which I, I, of course, didn't have as much to do or really anything to do with the military, but it includes our supervisors and our leaders and our managers, because sometimes we forget that they are employees too. 
more importantly, yes. that they are people yes. too. Yes. Right? We forget that they're people and we forget that our supervisors, they need help. If we don't help our supervisors and our leaders, if we don't help them have a better life, guess what? Then they can't help their, their own employees have mm-hmm. a better life. Mm-hmm. And so I was always trying to think of ways to like cut out all the bureaucracy, you know, stop doing all the mother may I things, push as much down as I could down to the component levels like the FEMA and CBP, I Secret Service, push it down as far as I could so that they could do their job. Why? Because I believed in them. Of course they could do their job. These are really incredibly bright men and women, incredibly dedicated to their mission and stuff. So my goal was to do everything I could was to get out of their way, right? To create ways to get out of their way and to always yet be there for them when they needed me. Like if you need me to go up on the hill because you need me to help you uh, support the legislation that you want to put forward, then up on the hill, I'll go for you. You know, if you want me to, if you want me to uh, delegate a specific authority to you, I'll delegate it to you. If you want me to implement a new HRIT system that helps, you know, your processes flow a little bit better, I'll do that for you. If if you need an employee and family readiness program because you know resiliency is an issue because we're worried about suicides and stuff, I'll do that for you as well. And so. You know, I think that, that that to me is what a chief human capital officer is all about is how do how do I help how do I help you be able to succeed um, in the best way that you possibly can and and figure out ways to do that in a way that just again elevates everyone's experience. Thank you so much for that. And I I love it. I love it. Um so you recently stepped down from that, mm-hmm. that role and, and now you've assumed the CEO position at Anada? Ananda. Ah, Ananda, sorry. Ananda Life. Can mm-hmm. you please, because you, you shared it with me, what does that mean? And then what are you doing there? Sure. So, um, yes, I retired after 40 years of federal service um, and um I created a business called Ananda Life. So Ananda in Sanskrit means uh, blissful or joyful. So blissful life, joyful life. And so I did that because, you know, just when I, there's things that I'm passionate about. I was so incredibly passionate about the things that we were doing for our employees and their families. Um, I love the whole thing around uh, leadership development, have a master's degree in, in leadership I I love things like helping people figure out or consulting about crisis leadership and and about being an innovation catalyst and things like that. Like those are the areas where I'm incredibly passionate. And so I thought, let me just create a business um, that I can kind of pour myself into, right? That I can maybe create some workshops in which I can partner with other people and I can deliver things that I think might help, um, help an individual, Right. Not necessarily like how to process an HR action, because that isn't going to happen. But but (laughs) instead, it might instead, you know, a seminar about how do you live from your heart? How do you get your heart and your mind into coherence? How do you ask your heart the question instead of your mind? How do you how do you just simply breathe? Right. So that you can breathe in such a way that you can kind of regulate yourself and get yourself into coherence and be able to like be able to manage your emotions and your stress and everything else that's going 
going on in your life. And so I just had this idea of, you know what, um, I've done HR, right? I, I've done that. And I said, I don't want to schlep around DC selling HR. I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> write about HR. I just, instead I want to, but I want to be respectful of everything that I learned. And I, and because, because you can't help but be that person who has all of that still in me. Right. And so while I may not write about hiring authorities, um, I can still write about the human element of human resources. So I really want to concentrate, I think, on the human part of, of the resource part. And so anyhow, that's, um, that's it. So I want to offer retreats. Um, and boy, let me just say this. I, 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 um, here's the lesson that I learned. This is so humbling. So, you know, you create a business and you're like, oh, and you go out and it's like, I don't have an executive assistant. I don't have a chief. <laughs> I don't have an executive officer. Oh my God. I don't have an IT department. Oh, like what? How yeah, do you, you do. accept payments from <laughs> you. people? Yeah, exactly. The other day I was on a call and like, and like my zoom kept going out, right. Or teams, whatever I was on. And I was like, you know, my IT department is worth exactly what I pay for them. Nothing. And so <laughs> I was like, I can't figure out anything. Right. And so anyhow, it's just been really, really humbling. So I'm like, thank you. Thank you to my staff who was like, who like made my life so incredibly seamless for all these years. And so anyhow, I'm figuring it out, you know, one step at a time. And it's been kind of fun to do that. But so hopefully people will bear with me as I try to navigate this, this whole new world. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing I tell people all this all the time, this business is really about wherever the spirit moves me, right? Whatever it is that I think is going to help in, not just improve, but really honestly elevate someone's experience, human experience, then I'm all in. Right. Whatever, yeah. however that shakes out. Um, I, I just want to be that kind of person and, and maybe it is worth something, you know, 40 years of experience that I can share with others. Like I am with you right now. Um, you know, my thoughts and my opinions, and as everybody knows, I'm not shy about providing those and I'm okay. <laughs> if people don't agree with me either, you know, it's like, ah, I'm, I'm cool with all of that as well. So I just think it's really, really fun to like partner. I got to meet you, Alex, you know, through all of this. And so I think that, um, uh, I think that there'll be more to come with another life. It's, it's just me trying to figure out all the logistics just so I can, you know, actually do the kinds of things I'm really passionate about. Well, look, Thank you so much, so much, so much for being with us today. You are phenomenal. I, I want to open the floor to you again. Say, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience before we start wrapping up? Sure. I, get, I, I mean, I think the one thing I will share is that, you know, really what I've learned about this whole thing about leadership is that I think we overcomplicate everything. And, and we think that we think that we have to like read every book on it or or we have to like, you know, subscribe to every um, I don't know, workshop or or whatever. And at the end of the day, it's really all about just being your authentic self, right? And bringing yourself to the table. Like what you're seeing today is what my staff saw, is what is what a customer saw, is what everybody saw. So there wasn't like, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, you, you have to compartmentalize your life or, you know, you can compartmentalize um, who you are at work versus who you are at home. Well, 
it's true that yes, I'm not going to come to work, you know, in my bathing suit with a beer in my hand, right? <laughs> that might be who I am on the weekend in the summer, but that's not who I'm going to be whenever I'm the Chico of DHS in Washington, DC. So yeah, when I say bringing your authentic self, I mean, who's inside of you, right? Bring that best person, bring the best elements of that person to work and to everything that you do. And honestly, the, the success and, um, and the, the promotions or whatever it is that you're looking for, I think it'll really happen for you. But we have to also remember that like success is defined in many different ways. And it can't all be about being defined by the job. And I would say this all the time to people. I, the job never defined me. Who, who I am as a person, the fact that my children still call me every single day, or I call them, the fact that my grandchildren greet me at the door and, you know, with, with Mimi, you're here, you know, the fact that I can pick up a phone and call any girlfriend that I have and say, oh my God, you will not believe what happened today. <laughs> you know, that is what that is what I think defines us as people, right? And so when you're a leader, your team just wants to know that that's who you are. Like you don't get it all right. You don't understand everything, but it's okay. We're kind of in this together. But at the end of the day, as a leader, I've got your back. I will always have your back. I will always stand up for you. I will always make sure that you know that no matter what happens, I'm there for you. And so I, I think that to me, that's leadership in a nutshell. Be yourself, but be there for others as well. So Angela, I am I am very much looking forward to finding an opportunity to work with you and partner with you in the, in the future. We'll make some beautiful stuff and do change some lives and impact some people. Thank you yes. so much for everything you've shared here today. And thank you so much for everyone who's listening and watching today. Um, again, you know what I'm about to say. If you <laughs> found value in this, if you found one thing that you were like, wow, this is really helpful. This can change my life or my perspective or how I even make a decision. You find one thing. Don't just look back, reach back. Take this information and share it with someone else so that they can have the same learning, the same aha moment that you had. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't be that guy, that gal. As always, thank you so much. Stay strong, stay positive, and definitely everyone, stay moving. See you. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. <laughs>